Hello and welcome to Chilennial Horrors. As promised, we haven't left you alone for four months this time, just like about a month and a half or something. But still, (laughs) (laughs) this month we are digging deep into Tartanasia Extreme's archives and looking at Korean genre films, that is, horror movies made in South Korea. We've got quite a lot of different things this time and also quite a lot of films, it feels like. I think there's five, so I guess we should just... Get cracking. Like I'm actually cracking my knuckles as if anyone can see me, but but you know, the thought is there. <laughs> <laughs> Do you wanna kick us off, Jonathan? Yeah, sure. I guess, yeah, the first film that we're gonna be talking about is from two thousand and three. It's Kim Ji Woon's A Tale of Two Sisters, uh, which I think is generally regarded as one of the maybe the crown one of the crown jewels of Korean horror. I think it recently had an arrow re release and everyone was raving about it again. It's set Somewhere in the countryside in South Korea, it's in a very lovely lakeside house, and it's about two young two young sisters who are coming back from a mental institution after their mother dies, and moving back in with their dad and his much younger wife, now, now their stepmom, who was, I think was was their mother's nurse, wasn't she? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And basically, as soon as they get back, spooky stuff starts to happen, and it's it's not quite clear whether it's because. Uh, the stepmother's being horrible, whether the stepmother's kind of got some evil plans going on, uh, whether it's all in the older sister's head, or whether there is actually a ghost in the house that is causing this supernatural business. And it's it's very, it's kind of, it's slow, it's leisurely paced, it's very beautifully made. And yeah, I still like it a lot. My first memory of watching it, I think, was on, would have been on DVD. I didn't see it at the cinema, and I, I saw it after I'd seen quite a lot of Korean horror and genre cinema already. Mm. It was one that I came to fairly late, and although it's never been one of my go-tos, it's one I remembered very fondly. How about you? When did you first see it? So I, I think I actually did see it on a Tartan Asia Extreme release. I remember seeing it in the cinema. I can see in my head like the corridor of Cardiff... Uh, was UGC, so now is... What is that now, View? No, I don't uh, know. Yeah. Uh, something. <laughs> but, but then it was it was UGC, and I can it's like imagine walking down the corridor and seeing the poster for this film with the, the two girls like in their white dresses covered in blood. It's like that really striking... Yeah, the poster's um, amazing. ...artwork. Yeah. <laughs> Being like, yep, going to see that. <laughs> uh, again, it was, yeah, 2003, so it was like... Well, maybe it was 2004 in the UK... But I feel like it was part of that whole post-ring boom still where just all this stuff was just like, yes, give it to me. <laughs> but um, this is obviously a very different film, firstly because it's Korean and not Japanese, but also just just a different different proposition entirely, really, from the kind of ring ghosty movies. Yeah, definitely. It's much less... The supernatural stuff, there's, there was more ghost stuff than I remembered early on, I think... In my head, the first instance of supernatural business was a dinner party scene. But mm. actually, there's some stuff before that. Yeah. Yeah, that the older sister, Sumi, sees. But the I think the dinner party sequence and what follows is probably one of the main reasons why people remember this film 
so well. It was definitely in my, even though I'd forgotten a lot of the plot, I was like, it's the one where there's something under the kitchen sink. Oh, yeah. And I remember, actually, yeah, so hang on, I, maybe I can figure out when I saw it. Because I know uh, I'd seen it before I moved into my final year student house because I remember when we moved in, the kitchen had that, like, gap under the cupboards. Oh, amazing. So I remember making, like, jokes about about this film. <laughs> <laughs> it was going to be a ghost under there. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's the scene that sticks with me as well. Although I watched the version of it that's currently on Shudder, and maybe that was a mistake and I should have looked for a Blu-ray because I thought that scene was nowhere near as sort of clear and uh, terrifying as it was in my memory. Oh, OK. I think I've a tartan Blu-ray when they were briefly mm-hmm. putting out Blu-rays. Um, yeah, now I saw the... Um, it looks like a burnt <laughs> corpse under there, but yeah. Yeah, it, yes, which it would make sense, I guess. I think in my head I just... Because I haven't seen it since then, so I'm... I'm you know, knocking on 20 years of not having seen this film. So I guess it, I made that more, I don't know, more dramatic or clearer what you could see in my head. So when I actually saw it, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think that whole sequence is just so good though, because the actress who's playing a stepmother is wonderful and she's trying to spin these ridiculous stories and no one's having a good time. <laughs> yes. And then it's her, her sister-in-law has some kind of fit and yeah, and then she sees something. It's just that escalation of sort of what's actually happening and you can't, you, you don't see what's under the sink at first and that's the stepmother who sees it. But yeah, it's just all so uncomfortable and weird. And the like the the tone is really different to anything that's been going on before. Like this mm. kind of weird dark comedy of it. But also it kind of doesn't fit with the rest of the film. Like in terms of once you get to the end and you find out what's really happening... No, it does. It does. It's okay. I've figured it out. I've, 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 I've thought it through in my head. It's fine. <laughs> it's like, wait, hang on. But you have to, because there's a lot of layers of what's real, what's not real, mm. whether there's a ghost, who's a ghost, at what point. <laughs> like, <laughs> kind of trying to keep track of um, of what's going on. And I think I like it a lot more in theory than I do in practice. Mm. Mostly because... There's just really long stretches of this film where it's not that nothing's happening, but no one's talking. Hmm. And I think I've said before, like, I just like dialogue. <laughs> so I, once, this, once no one's saying anything, I sort of drift off a bit. It's a bit, it's, it's a character flaw. I do think it is a bit too long. I think that's going to be a recurring theme this episode because yes. all of these films are at least like, like within touching distance of two hours. If yeah, it's not a lot of longer. 110 minute plus. Mm. Yeah, I, I agree. I think when it works, it's brilliant, but there are slow patches. And I think a lot, a lot I spent a lot of this watch trying to remember if, if there were more twists than I remembered, and there were. Because yeah. I've remembered the main one, which is, there's huge mm-hmm. spoilers. If you haven't seen A Tale of Two Sisters, this is not, this is a moment it's to the place off. for you. Yeah. <laughs> um, mm. But I remembered that the younger sister was dead. Yeah. I'd forgotten the whole deal with the stepmother, yes. which is that Sumi is actually hallucinating or pretending to be, or sort of has her her breakdown is causing her to be all three people, and that the stepmother's never been there in the house since she got back, and neither has a younger sister. It's just her and her dad. And the performance of the stepmother is so good. I'm just going to check the name of the actress. That, um, it's a... Uh, oh, yeah, I mean, pronunciation's going to be terrible, but it's a uh, Yum Jung-ah, I think. It's so good. She's, like, 
her wicked stepmother to sort of almost teenage girlness is so yeah it's brilliant and then the, the and then the twist the revelation of what actually happened is so horrible yes that yeah the stepmother is actually wicked and she decides to leave both <laughs> the mum the, and the younger sister to die just to spite the older sister, just to be like, well, you weren't polite to me. I'm going to let your family die. Yeah, that's yeah, it's like, brutal. Just remember that you regret this is such a horrible line <laughs> because really she knows is. that, yeah, there's two people dying in the bedroom. Ugh. I think I like it more than you do, but I do get the, in theory, it's brilliant. It's yeah. just a bit too long. And, and I think all the twists work for me as well, like all the revelations. It wasn't like a... Because I had that moment at the start where, because I thought it was just that the younger sister was dead, where the stepmom talks to the younger sister, and I was like, "Wait a yeah. minute, so yeah. is this just a big cheat?" And I was like, "Oh no, it's not a cheat. They're all no, her. Yeah. exactly. That's weirdly the moment I was going to say as well, because like you, that's the main thing I could remember was that the the one sister was dead. Um, so yeah, when that happens. I was watching for it, and I, th- I think actually maybe this is why I didn't enjoy this film as much this time as I did the first time round, is that I could half remember what the twist was, mm. and so I was looking for it, rather than just kind of letting the film play out and do its big reveal. So yeah, when they, they get out of the car at the beginning, and the one girl opens the door, and they sort of both slide out together, and I was like, aha, yes, I see, very good. <laughs> Because obviously she couldn't open the door herself because she's yeah. a ghost. Um, but yeah, then they go into the house and talk to the stepmother and she is talking to both of them. And, you, and I was like, oh, that's that's weird. I wonder how that works. And then I was like, well, can she see ghosts as well? Is that the thing? And yeah, like kind of trying to figure out what was what. And yeah, I think maybe that's why I found it a bit frustrating because it's quite, let me say it's slow and it's long. And once you kind of know or can you remember at least half of it, like it's like a really annoying puzzle that you're mm. trying to pull apart. And then, and then, like you say, the actual reveals are really, really creepy and, like, they're just proper, like, shivery, nasty, scary. But, like, I don't know, I think... I think I mean, it's my own, my own fault. Maybe if I watched it again, like, immediately afterwards, once I did know <laughs> fully what the ending was, then instead of having those moments of being like, well, hang on, what? I'd be like, ah, oh, I see what you did there. Very good. <laughs> yeah, it does all feel like it's really immaculately put together. And it's really, I think, probably, like, the most traditional of the films we're going to be talking about. Mm. It's the most kind of classic ghost story. And that there is actually a ghost at the end. <laughs> yeah, that the ghost of the mother does come back to to get her revenge on the stepmother. Well, and we, there's at least one ghost, because the ghost under the kitchen must be real as well. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, because um, it's based on, a, on a, a Korean folktale, which I tried to find and read, and it was so, like, loosely based that I was like, this is not helping. This <laughs> 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 is actively confusing me. Um, <laughs> but I guess that that's where that kind of traditional feeling comes from. Yeah. And and it's got moments that kind of feel like they're winking at the popular J-horror films. Mm. So I think there's a moment where there's like, like one of the girls is in the foreground and there's like a TV on in the background <laughs> on static or something. Or you can just see like the blue light from the TV. And uh, there was something else as well. I can't remember what it was, but I remember thinking like, oh, there was the, oh, the, um, obviously the, uh, the person in a sack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't not think about audition when you see that. <laughs> and obviously this is like, yeah, 2003. So it's a good couple of years after those films. So I guess they would have been in the cultural consciousness, but yeah, it's sort of like, it's not, it's not, not doing what those are, but there's a sort of a feeling of like, 
we know that these exist. <laughs> We're going to push you to like consider if that could be going on here. Hmm. I like I do like Kim Ji Win. I think uh, a bit of sweet life I haven't seen for a long time, but I did really I do really like it's like but that's like a kind of fairly traditional gangster movie, like a tragic one. And well, that's it done. I haven't seen Good, the Bad, and the Weird. I have I saw the Devil. I thought about suggesting for this podcast, but it's not really horror. It's more sort of serial killer thrillery. And yeah, I'm really glad you didn't because I I never managed to finish that film. It's uh, so fair. like rapey and horrible and i was just like nope nope don't want this in my head super mean yeah Mm. i did enjoy he did an apple tv series like there was a bit sci-fi called uh dr brain (laughs) Um, (laughs) like not as ridiculous as the plot suggests but it's kind of ridiculous it's about a brain surgeon who's trying to figure out what happened to his wife but by jumping into people's memories he jumps into a dead cat's memories and that's bit's really fun this feels this feels (laughs) quite restrained in terms of his filmography (laughs) yeah by comparison, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, one last thing before we move on from this film. Have you seen the remake? Yes, and I was trying to remember how faithful it was, because it does make quite a lot of changes, doesn't it? The yeah, it changes a lot. Yeah, I remember it being surprisingly okay. I quite enjoyed it, I think. Yeah, I watched it again recently, I think, because I think they might have owned it on DVD, and when we were having our big DVD clear-out, there were a lot of films that kind of went on a maybe pile of we should watch this again and decide whether to keep it or not. And I think that might have been one of them. And I, I kind of think it's surprisingly good, <laughs> which yeah. I don't know, um, because like it does change a lot and it makes some points a lot clearer. Um, mm. And also it does away with the delusion that the stepmother is like doing nasty things like that isn't there. It's just literally like, the ghost of the older sister. Ah, so maybe the fact that I've seen that more recently is why I only remembered that part of the the twist. Yeah, maybe. I think I might have done the same thing. But they they do also make the shuddery, nasty ending uh, kind of stupider, but more like <laughs> dramatic in that it's not that the stepmother just kind of lets them die, but that the older girl like is setting fire to the house for some reason. I think she's trying to kill the stepmother, but she kills like a sister instead. It's like there's lots of fire and drama. <laughs> it's um, I'm making it sound terrible. I thought it was yeah. Was yeah, decent. I remember enjoying it. I think Elizabeth Banks is really good as a stepmom. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's not going to be any um, nice easy segues in this <laughs> podcast, I don't think, because all the, these films are all quite different from one another. I'm like yeah, scrolling through like. No, nothing's going to nicely move on to the next one. <laughs> our next film, oh, apart from the fact that I saw both of these in the same cinema in Cardiff, but that isn't like smooth for anyone but me. Um, our next film is Our Point from 2004, which is directed by Kong Su Chang, who is the director of The Ring Virus and also Tell Me Something. So the plot of this one, it's set in 1972 in the Vietnam War, where a regiment of soldiers are being sent to rescue like another squad who have gone out into enemy territory and and sent back very distressed radio calls. So they're going to try and rescue them from this uh, Romeo point, our point. But when they get there, they can't find them. And instead, they just find ghosts. (laughs) That's what there are everywhere. (laughs) Lots of ghosts. So yeah, again, I saw this at the the cinema. And again, the main thing I could remember was one of the main scares. I remember quite liking it. That was my main takeaway. Again, I don't think I've seen it in, in nearly 20 years. How about you? Have you see, did you see this at the time? This one, I think I watched when I was working at a 
DVD rental place in Nottingham as a student and I used to work Sunday mornings so no one would come in so I remember putting it on on a Sunday morning and no one came <laughs> in while I was watching it so that was fine yeah I also remember liking it not loving it but I the only bit I really remembered was when basically like a bucket of blood falls onto one of the soldiers <laughs> when like nothing's really happened yet yes. and then they're just having a chat and suddenly it's huge like <laughs> some blood falls on someone <laughs> yeah, it was in my head. It was always one of like the sort of slightly lesser ones. Mm. I don't think people don't talk about it, do they? No, I bought it. I bought a second copy of the DVD. I think during the first lockdown, maybe because it, it mm. randomly popped in my head. I was like, oh yeah, our point. That was pretty good. Uh, but I hadn't watched it until preparing for this, and it was definitely, I think, maybe my pleasant surprise of this <laughs> podcast. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah, it held up surprisingly well. Uh, yeah, I didn't expect to to be as creepy and as effective as it is, and really sad. It's, um, it's so sad. It is so sad. Um, but it just it just gets creepy, like right from the off, really. Like the as soon as like one uh, member of the squad like gets separated from the others, like I think he goes for a pee in the bushes or something, and like then we're just like, oh, here are tons of ghosts, <laughs> and like I don't know, I just. That that was the scare that I didn't remember was when um, uh, he's trying to find the rest of the the of his like teammates, and he sees soldiers sort of standing in the overgrowth and in in the mist, and they've all they're all, all got their back to him, and he's like calling their names and saying guys guys like wait for me whatever, and they just don't turn around, mm. and it's just really creepy. I don't know, maybe it's the Blair Witch Project has done this to our entire generation, but the idea of people standing with their back to you and refusing to turn around is weirdly creepy. I'd forgotten that scare as well, and it was so good. <laughs> yeah, it's just the the doom of it all. I think mm-hmm. the, the sense of there's no real point in them going anyway, because I think it's, yeah. it's sort of, it feels like it's implied that they know everyone's dead, kind of, like there's no way that they could still be out there, but all they need to do is go and get the dog tags. And then as soon as they pitch up, it's clear that they're not going to find anything until it's far too late. And then they find everything <laughs> and it's just yeah. a bunch of bodies. <laughs> yeah, And the fact that they're all kind of anonymous, like some of them have a bit of mm. characterization, but it feels very deliberate that it's just a bunch of lads <laughs> yeah. who shouldn't be there. And they don't really, they don't want to be there and they're not going to make it out. <laughs> and, yeah. I think there's some of the scares are so so well done. I think the first half maybe works a bit better than the second half. Mm. Where you realise that that one of the early twists is that they didn't actually leave with as many people as they thought they did. Yes. And <laughs> that's the one I remembered. That's that I don't know why, that really freaks me out. Like just the fact that they're a bunch of like they explain it in the beginning, but they're not like an established regiment. They're like just a kind of assortment of soldiers mm. who are sent off on this mission. And so they don't really know each other very well. And there's like, there's nine of them. So it's it's slightly too many for you as a viewer to keep track of mm. uh, that early on, particularly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, so when they when they kind of go, oh, like they, they I think they radio back, don't they? And say like, oh, we've lost someone. And they're like, what are you talking about? You never had him, like... Yeah, he's that one of never, the missing. That never happened. Yeah, he's one of the missing ones. You've just yeah. had a ghost like tagging along with you the whole time, Since and you, you just thought that, he was yeah. one of you. Ugh. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, it's like, are you like, are you, are you like out of your mind? Yeah, you left with nine. It's like, yeah, 
Yeah, you're like, oh, there are ten of us. That like, no, you left with nine, and it's the confusion of it all, and they're just trying to get through mm. the, uh, the the days where they can get rescued again, and all they need to really do is go and find proof that everyone's dead, but they can't because they keep getting lost or separated, or mm. and that when they do finally find the bodies, then the helicopter can't make it until the, the next day, and it's just yeah, and there's that classic sort of the, there's a bunch of Americans who show up and then. Like to help warn them about how dangerous our point is, and then they leave, and then then they find their bodies later on, and they've been they were ghosts as well. It's just yes, yeah, uh. like, you should never have come here. None of you should be here. It's a bad place. Do they explain why it's such a kind of cursed place? I can't remember. There's sort of it's it's supposed it, to be a hospital where they, they I think right. something like that where they're taking shelter. I think because it's a nurse or something who's the ghostly woman that they keep seeing who they mm. kill at the beginning. Yeah, but I think the the idea is that it's supposed to have been cleared out of all enemies, so they're not even supposed to be running into any trouble. But yeah, it's just obviously just a, a place, I think, where everyone had been wiped out, so it's supposed to be fine. But obviously because everyone was wiped out, that's exactly why it's so cursed and haunted. It's so bleak. Yeah. It really, <laughs> it's really bleak. It really sort of works for me on that level. And it, it, that, you know, the whole kind of like war is hell thing is such a overplayed trope, but like... It just really feels so hopeless here, doesn't it? It's really, like, gut-wrenchingly yeah. horrible. And I think military horror feels like it goes wrong a lot. Mm. Like, I think I was trying to remember... Trying to think of other similar films, and there was that weird brief... Like, there was a couple of British films that did it, like Death Watch and The Bunker, mm. and there may be a couple of others, but this is the one that I've seen that I think is most effective. You're just watching people who shouldn't be there and don't want to be there realizing that there's no way out and i think because by the end there's a possession thing that doesn't really work as well for me as um the rest of it where that feels a little bit too over stylized there's just a bit at the end where the only survivor is the youngest one and he's just worrying about whether his mother's going to recognize him yeah because he's lost his eyes like he's there's been an explosion so he's he can't see yeah and he's just kind of doing this monologue sitting on the floor Asking if yeah, if he, if his mum, if anyone will recognise him, if his even his mother will recognise him when he goes home because because he's changed so much, and it mm. kind of just like pans back and he's just like alone in this place of horrors, and yeah, oh, yeah. it's devastating. <laughs> yeah, it really is, and it's it's interesting that it's not. I think I tweeted about it, and there were a few people who are like, oh yeah, our point's great, but it's really not talked no. about in the same way that some of these other ones are. It feels definitely like it's ripe for rediscovery. It's <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Again, like a bit long, but... But they all are. <laughs> but just like, yeah, the radio broadcast is so good. It's like, it's like Dragonfly calling whatever the, the base is called. And it's like, we're still here. Um, we're dying. Yeah. Like, please come save us. We're still here. Oh. It's, it's brilliant. Like, it's so yeah, creepy. Yeah, that's giving me goosebumps even now. Just like, oh, thinking about that. Yeah. And it even starts like at the at the end, which feels always feels like a bit of a cheat. But it starts with the sole survivor being told, like, "How is this radio signal happening?" Yeah. And he's like, "No, they're all dead. They're all dead. I've got their dog tags." The fact that the ending still like is so devastating <laughs> works really well. Yeah, huge recommendation for our point. Yes, everyone watch it. our point. Um, yeah, and I, I spotted that this had been released at some point under the title "Ghosts of War," which is not to be confused with the twenty twenty war supernatural horror film ghosts of war which is entirely different and i sort of thought for a moment oh maybe it's like 
based on it or something, but it's really not. Okay. It's good though. I like it. It's got Carl Golner in it. <laughs> well, what Go do you want? <laughs> Horror icon Carl Golner. <laughs> the most iconic. He's got a new horror film out soon. Very exciting. <laughs> I'm going to do a special episode, the Carl Golner episode. <laughs> do you know what? I actually, I sort of said that as a joke, and then I sort of went, actually. <laughs> yeah, there's plenty. There's there's enough to talk about. Could be easily. done. Yeah. So next up, we go to the host from 2006. Yeah, Bong Joon Ho's the host. When I went to um, try to rent it, it tried to give me that Stephanie Mayer thing, and I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Surely, surely if you type the host, you mean this film. Surely everyone means that. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, directed by Bong Joon-ho. So this is after Memories of Murder, but before most of the films that people will know him from. It sort of feels like to me like this was maybe his breakout film in the West. But yes, so it is about, uh, as you said, some military people doing bad things so it starts out with an american scientist just just being absolutely like insane and ordering his assistant (laughs) to pour like loads of bottles of formaldehyde into the (laughs) down the drain and the guy's like you do know that this is going to go straight into the river and he's like yep (laughs) (laughs) it's scott wilson as well i forgot it was scott wilson i didn't i didn't know who that was but um i loved the whole like the whole just is just like these bottles are dusty and I don't want them <laughs> put them in the river <laughs> anyway so they, they pour a lot of horrible chemicals straight into the Han River which causes everything to die or mutate and creates a big old monster which is very Godzilla of them really so this nasty fish monster pops up and causes havoc uh, I say fish monster, I guess it's amphibious because it can breathe out of the water. Uh, <laughs> it meets, it runs straight into a family. So we have, uh, played by Song Kang-ho, Gangdu, who's like this like um, guy who works in like a food stall. He's very lazy. He's constantly asleep on the job. I think when we meet him, he's asleep. Um, everyone mm. kind of just treats him like he's an idiot. Uh, <laughs> he that works there with his father Hebong, and it also has his daughter Hyunseo. I'm so sorry about the pronunciation, uh, but yes. Yeah, so when the monster pops up, uh, Gangdu is there to see it emerge, and unfortunately, it also steals his daughter, picks her up in its tail, runs away with her, and drops her into a sewer in an unknown place to come back and eat her later. We assume because it seems to be just eating everyone else so the rest of the film is basically this this face-off between the family trying desperately to figure out what's happened to her and how they can rescue her while the military is just trying to nuke the whole situation pretty much um (laughs) it's kind of like it's just really stressful isn't it just that whole thing of like (laughs) they get put in quarantine because they've come into contact with the monster and like nobody will listen and everyone just assumes that they're just crazy and that this girl must be dead but obviously we know that she isn't and it's just like (laughs) so infuriating there's a lot of um yeah bureaucratic incompetence Mm. that is very i guess very godzilla as well but it also feels very um yeah very bong joon ho the idea that everyone's just really clumsy and not Mm. very good at their jobs and yeah there's a bit right at the start where the guy in the where they're 
kind of in the shelter and the guy in the yellow kind of hazmat suit like slips and falls yes. <laughs> um, and then gets up and tries to start it out like nothing happened but yeah it's all it's all kind of scrappy and desperate everyone's kind of got like their special skill but none of them are like everyone's just a bit bit rubbish like, yeah there's like the academic son who's now an alcoholic mm-hmm. he's like a former kind of yeah students rights kind of activist and the sister is played by Dina Bay who is a kind of medal winning archer but got a bronze because she can never like release on time she's always kind she of she just hesitates which you just f- feel like that's gonna play a vital role at some point when you're like your whole thing is that you don't fire your arrow when you need to. Oh God! <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, just this, all these moments where it just goes a bit wrong because of their own flaws, and obviously, like it does, it kind of comes together at the end. But it's so I love it for that where they're just so believably scrappy and determined, but also really not equipped to be fighting like a mutant frog monster, as none of us are. <laughs> As none of us are, exactly. Who among us <laughs> is really ready to fight a mutant frog monster from the river? Certainly not me. I'm not. No. <laughs> well, um, the one thing that I did want to talk about on this is that the whole film, like, they're constantly saying uh, Gangdu's like an idiot, like he's really lazy, he's really slow. Um, you know, if only he hadn't grabbed the wrong girl's hand when they were all running away from the monster, then he wouldn't have lost his daughter. Um I think they're being a bit unfair in that when when you actually watch that scene or those scenes where the monster first emerges, like he's the one who's there with the American military guy, like throwing mm. things at it, like throwing rocks at it and like deliberately, like properly fighting it, whereas everyone else is just running away. And I was like, how does this fit with the perception of this character in the rest of the film? Like everyone's always just being like, oh, if only you took some action, if only you weren't so lazy and sleepy. And it's like, well, hang on, he was, you, where were you? <laughs> he was fighting the thing. It's only just, you know, in the confusion and, and the chaos, like he grabbed the wrong schoolgirl's hand, like could have happened to anyone. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I think there's that lovely scene where he's asleep and his dad's telling the other two siblings off for like, you just see like a sleepy idiot, but he was missing something in his childhood. He didn't get enough protein, yes. I think, wasn't it? <laughs> Yeah, that sort of sometimes he's like really on and then sometimes he's really not. Mm. And then that's literally just for the bit where he doesn't, he tells his dad the wrong number of bullets in the gun. There's that awful moment where like he sort of, the gun clips out and he turns around to look at his, oh man, that moment is is really heartbreaking. It is really heartbreaking, but it's another thing where like, I feel like in the film it's almost played for like, oh, what an idiot, he's always screwing things up. And you're like, oh, as if I could bloody keep count of the number of bullets in a gun when a <laughs> giant monster is bearing down on me. Like, I could not. No. <laughs> yeah, I do, yeah, I think that's kind of the point, isn't it? I guess that it's, everyone's just as bad at it as everyone else. <laughs> like, the military yeah. don't know what to do and they keep changing, they keep blaming different things and taking different approaches and coming up with a fake infection that's not actually happening yeah that's interesting on the other side of the covid19 pandemic like to watch that kind of quarantine procedure and and people wearing masks and hazmat suits and and whatever else there's that bit where it's in it's in the rain and everyone's worried about the infection and there's people waiting at a bus stop and someone coughs like yeah. what a phlegm into a puddle and then the bus sprays Ooh. it and sprays all over everyone yeah Brilliant. But he, that guy, that goddamn guy, takes his mask off to cough. And you're like, what is the point <laughs> of this mask if it is not to contain your germs? 
<laughs> hyper conscious of all mask etiquette issues now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, that, that bit like, really got me this time. I was like, oh yeah. my God, if that happened to me, I would, yeah. I'd be yeah. screaming, crying. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and this, this is another one that's like devastating at the ending. I mean, I guess they sort of slightly play up a kind of an optimistic ending in that like, he's trying to pull his life together and he's adopted this other kid. But like, I don't think at any point, I don't know whether this is just like Hollywood's indoctrination, but I think you almost expect that, that the girl's going to get rescued. Yeah. 100%. And then she doesn't. And you're I like, that she oh didn't. shit. Yeah. 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 The fact that she dies is, is heartbreaking. I think it's that weird. It is very, yeah, particular mix of comedy and, oh no, actually, but this is a very serious monster and it will kill people. Because it, it, it might just be like the creature design, but in my head, this and Cloverfield are kind of linked together. Yeah. I felt like they were coming out about the same time. I think they did, yeah. Yeah, Cloverfield just plays it completely straight. And the host is like, oh, like, look at these, like, this is a bit silly, isn't it? Everyone's kind of ridiculous, but oh, also now, like, the little girl's dead. And I guess Cloverfield has the same ending in that you expect that you're like main characters are going to survive and then they don't mm. yeah bleak this is 2006 I mean I guess that's in Cloverfield's case it's an obvious like September 11th mm. thing yeah. in the host case I'm not sure but I guess it's just a mood of like just just sort of looking at the world and this right before like the financial crash and everything just being mm. like ah shit can go wrong and we don't live in a movie where everything can be have a happy ending so like let's just have some movies that don't have happy endings like fucking hell like <laughs> it's not it's not always going to be okay in the end yeah and the, the authorities are not only incompetent but they're gonna do a like lobotomy to try and create a virus that isn't there and fucking hell it's, yes not only incompetent but like actively malicious yeah, yeah. trust no one yeah trust no one and yeah, it's it's interesting looking at like in Bong Joon Ho's kind of filmography because it's it's interesting. He does obviously love going big, and then mm. it's interesting that Parasite is the one that seems to turn every like to really because I think you're right. This I think Memories of Murder got really good reviews, but then this was like big in the West, wasn't it? The host it was, but yeah, he he does love his big monsters like Okja and Snowpiercer feels quite similar, and it's kind of everyone's just messy and. Like the like the people in charge are horrible, and the people who are fighting back aren't aren't kind of particularly special. They're just fighting back. There is definitely a mood, a Bong Joon Ho mood, like kind of slapstick heroism. <laughs> <laughs> I think Parasite maybe is the one that kind of got all the Oscars because it feels less slapsticky than the others. Yeah, and like I think also it's less it's less of a genre film. Like that's the other thing. It's mm. not it's not supernatural. It's not. It's not horror, really. Um, so I guess that's probably why it's like okay for everyone to love it and give it an Oscar. <laughs> it's not his best <laughs> film, it's really not. It's no. good. I do like Parasite. The thing is, like with all of them, I sort of feel like, yeah, they're good, but they don't hit me in the heart as much as I wish they did. Fair enough. <laughs> I am a big fan. I do like. I mean, obviously, like you can't deny that they're they're like you know really meticulously crafted and really well made and and well acted and everything it's just um i guess it's just how this is a big thing i'm about to say how not everyone gets guillermo del toro 
Mm. And they don't understand the genius of, you know, <laughs> Pacific Rim. Um, and I have to accept that that's that maybe that's what's happening for me with with this. <laughs> uh, I do love the heist. I remember it, again. It's too long. Yeah, I remember it. I, I missed it at cinema again, but I remember watching it on DVD when it came out on DVD and really enjoying it. And it's still big fun. Love the performances and yeah, love the monster. Were you were you just too young for a lot of these in the cinema? <sighs> Um, I think it might have been 2000, yeah, maybe a bit, or I kind of wasn't fully clued into it. I think I I didn't really mm. find out about Tartanasia Extreme stuff until DVD. I think, see, I think the only one I saw at the cinema is, of the ones we we're going to be talking about was Thirst. <laughs> Crazy. I mean, I was just lucky, I think, that my local cinema happened to be showing all of this at the time and that I had this like unlimited card. So I just saw everything. Like so, it didn't didn't require any knowledge on my part. It was just like, oh, that's all, and I'll see it. <laughs> uh, oh, I was really going to try and join this together. <laughs> I mean, I guess in yet another example of how you can't trust people who appear to be in positions of power. No, doesn't really work. Um, <laughs> going on to uh, 2007's Hansel and Gretel. Um, this again, this feels like a slightly more forgotten one. Mm. Would you say? Yeah, don't really see people talking about this one. Like, I think this was actually quite hard to dig out. Yes, so directed by... Uh, oh, I really hate myself every time I have to say a name. Um, directed by Yim Pilsong. It is about a guy who crashes his car in the midst of having an argument with his girlfriend about... Are they actually arguing about children? She's at the hospital because she's pregnant or something. Yeah, and he's going to visit his mum or something. She's Yeah, she's pregnant. But he, yes, he crashes his car and he's found by a young girl who rescues him and takes him to her home, uh, which is has a sign outside that says it's the home of happy children. And indeed, everyone inside seems to be super happy and smiley. There are three kids, um, an older boy, an older girl and this young girl, and then the two parents. And they're all very, very lovely and welcoming and give him food and shelter. But they get a bit weird when he tries to leave (laughs) and suggest that you know he won't be able to find the road so he might as well just stay forever and ever and ever (laughs) i yeah i remember really liking this film when i first saw it i remember it being a bit of a an unexpected like treat and i can't remember why i even saw it like i think it i don't know where it came from like i just remember seeing it on dvd but i don't know why yeah i had um I think I rented it on DVD probably a good few years after it came out, but I think I remember, because it's released by Terracotta, and I think maybe I was looking for Asian horror movies to watch, and I saw like Hansel and Gretel, and it had good reviews. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Um, and yeah, similarly, I remember liking it, but when it came time to think about ones to watch, I couldn't really remember it very well. I remember, mm-hmm. oh yeah, it's creepy and weird, and has some good twists, but... Which is, yeah, probably about how I'd sum it up now. It's creepy and weird. It's got some good twists. Um, yeah. It's, again, way too long. It's a kind of a bit of a spin on the Twilight Zone episode with the kid who can wish things in, into coming true and has terrified the adults around him. Oh. I can't remember what it's called now. I don't think I know that one. But also definitely, like, yeah, fairy tale, cautionary tale about abusing kids, I guess. Um <laughs> Yes. It's yeah. Another one with a super big That twist. bit is really super dark. Yeah. <laughs> like, it goes so fucking dark. You're like, oh, wow, okay. I thought you were just creepy kids, but the sort of explanation of why they have such distrust of adults 
it's 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 child abuse great um it like i don't know i think i think the first like kind of like nice little scare is when he wakes up and finds that the parents have disappeared Mm. and left a note saying like we're going away you can look after the children and then he like encounters the mother and she's like the hit hiding and terrified um because until that point i guess you don't know who to be scared of like the whole family seemed quite creepy and then the kind of revelation that the kids are holding these adults prisoner is is quite nasty yeah that's that bit where like they have breakfast and it's just birthday cake right at the start and it's all these like sweet <laughs> and that's all yes. like i really like how that's all shot like these kind of horrible like kind of bright neon colors and it all looks really sickly and weird yeah. and the parents like oh sometimes we give the kids dessert for breakfast it's just like a fun thing we do <laughs> it's like a heap of cake like bigger than anyone could ever eat and like he they they all copy him as well like but he picks up like a bright blue cupcake and they all pick up the same one but it's just <laughs> yeah so unappetizing so like well i mean the fact that the titles Hansel and Gretel obviously you're thinking like oh, yeah. no there's going to be and something nasty in a candy house <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's it's interesting how the main character kind of becomes has to become their protector at a certain point cuz mm. the pacing i think is is too slow and that it's these kind of slow revelations coming out and there's a kind of almost like a bit too long between each one. So he's, he's trying to escape yeah. and he can't find his way out of the woods. And then another, like a couple show up, like a deacon and his wife who are immediately sinister. And you know that something's going to go wrong and it's whether it's the kids are going to murder them or whether they're going to try and murder the kids. Yeah, it does feel like it could just be a bit tighter, yeah. couldn't it? Like uh, he, there are a few too many times where he's trying to escape yes. And he can't, and he has to come back. Like, you're like, you know, just do it once, yeah, you've got the point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and kind of the, I guess finding the, bre- the trail of breadcrumbs for what the mystery actually is, is just goes on for quite a long time. Uh, the mm. kids the kids are all great, the, um, all three kids. And there's some nice kind of fairy tale horror imagery, like people in trees and what's in the fridge and yeah. things like that. <laughs> it's all like quite nicely nasty. And then, then the the twist at the end is so brutal. It's I'm yeah. not 100 percent sure it works. Like it's I mean, it's effective, but then it's it again that goes <laughs> on for too long as well. I think it really kind of hammers home yeah what's happened, what's been happening. Really hammers at home, and the whole bit where the uh, older girl has to be like, no, take me instead. Yeah. Oh, oh just, god. Oh. Yeah. I mean, I guess the obvious comparison is like Pan's mm. Labyrinth, not to invoke Guillermo del Toro again, <laughs> but like that kind of idea of a child kind of creating a fantasy world to deal with real world horrors feels quite similar, except that they do seem to have supernatural powers, um, or at least the older boy does, which is a bit like strange. (laughs) Like it feels odd to have, I guess it's the case in a lot of them that it has like a very, very real horrifying element, but then there's also magic. Yeah. And like you said that it is, it just seems to be the boy who's like now looking after the two girls as well and distrusts every adult and that they're refusing to grow up because mm. adults are monsters. So he's made them st- like they've agreed to stay as children basically forever. It's, it's a mix of sort of skin crawlingly horrible. The actor who plays the deacon is really nasty. But then also, yeah, these kind of these kind of big fairy tale moments, like with San, him, the little boy making Santa appear and stuff like that. And again, I think 
I feel like myself, I feel elements of the plot kind of disappearing again, well, they like, quite soon after watching it, but it's got these kind of <laughs> some really interesting yes. ideas and like big moments that mean that I'll probably in about a few months be like, oh yeah, Hansel and Gretel, yeah, I should watch that again. Even though I think it was my <laughs> least favourite of the ones we talked about. It's still interesting, like it's still got some stuff that really works for me. Yeah, I think it is just that juxtaposition of just the, the incredibly dark thing of like, oh, by the way, they're all being raped by a priest. Yeah. And you're just like, fucking hell. Like, There are a lot of horror films now that are very explicit about the kind of real world abuse horrors that they're about, even when they've got monsters in. But like, it just feels too big. It just feels like the film's almost quite, not silly, but like it is, does have like silly elements, like you say about the birthday cake or whatever, um, that just feels like it doesn't quite resolve itself very well when you're talking about something that serious and that horrific and traumatic. I mean, yeah, but like, but also same thing of like finding it weirdly kind of forgettable mm. in that like you're watching it going, yeah, this is quite good. Uh, but then maybe it's just that it is too long. I don't know. It's fine. Like, I feel like it's, I wouldn't tell anyone not to watch it, but it's not a hard yeah. recommend. Agreed. I mean, I feel like none of these have been a particularly painful or difficult watch. Like, as our episodes go, <laughs> like, like all of I would take all of these over anything on the like vampires playlist. Yeah. I think. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> oh, and speaking of vampires, hey. oh my god! <laughs> hey. <laughs> I slightly ruined it by over-celebrating, <laughs> but our final film is uh, 2009's Thirst, which is about vampires. This is interesting because this is the first one on this um, list that came out once I had moved to London and become like a film critic. So I think I reviewed this for someone. Um, it was my first time seeing it was, may have been Soho Screening Rooms. It was certainly a central London screening room somewhere. Oh, nice. I saw this at uh, Warwick Arts Centre with my housemates. Yeah. Big screen experiences all around. Um, so it's directed by Park Chan-wook uh, of Vengeance Trilogy and Stoker and The Handmaiden and lots of other films that you will have seen. <laughs> uh, we have a recurrence of uh, Song Kang-ho. He's back this time as a priest. Um, he is a priest who's working with lots of patients of... Uh, some I can't remember if they specify what disease it is or if it's just like I can't remember a disease. either. It's extremely deadly. <laughs> Some horrible disease. So he, he volunteers to take part in a medical trial and as part of that, things go a bit wrong and he's given a blood transfusion and whoops, wakes up as a vampire. <laughs> so he, uh, he ends up uh, visiting his a childhood friend um, who's very sickly, apparently. I mean, not anywhere near as sickly as he is, considering he's dead. Uh, but, uh, yeah, meets meets his wife and things get <laughs> adulterous. <laughs> and then murderous. <laughs> this is... I didn't know this until I saw you put it in the notes, but it's based on a French yeah, novel. Yeah, I think... So. Yeah, uh, Therese Raquin, um, which I've not read. I think it's the the... the uh, adultery element is taken from that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I quickly <laughs> read the Wikipedia, <laughs> and and yeah, like that is kind of like beat for beat the the kind of like, uh, like a man is reunited with his childhood friend who's a hypochondriac, and like 
falls for his wife and they decide they conspire together to murder him but then are plagued by their guilt and keep seeing him so even in the book apparently they have those um like visions that he that the dead body is in the bed with them and stuff all that stuff that, that works so well in this film so i i weirdly quite delighted that the idea for this film seems to have been what if we take this novel but <laughs> the guy's a vampire <laughs> yeah it's just it, it's so fun i really enjoyed it both times yeah yeah and it is kind of like a classical kind of story of adultery and murder but also vampires <laughs> like <laughs> what if they could like jump around and yeah jump yeah. off buildings and punch lampposts and stuff like so hard they fall over <laughs> i love that i love so much of this film i love that he kind of feels like one of those anorized vampires that's you know very um oh it's so terrible that i need to drink blood to survive and i'm so sad and it's, i would never wish this curse on anyone and then it ends up turning uh, the girl whose name I can't remember. Is that Taiju? But yeah, so he ends up making her a vampire and she's just like, well, we're not human anymore, so happy days. Let's jump off a building yeah, and, and she eat says early on, that, Yeah, she doesn't believe in hell, so she's like, I'm not going to hell. Yeah. So yeah, I'm not I'm not a human anymore. So why shouldn't I eat people? It's, it tastes better when they're scared. <laughs> Obviously he's yeah got all this massive amount of guilt from his religious uh, past, but... Yeah, the the juxtaposition mm. between those two is just really yeah, fun. Yeah, they're both so good. Her especially, is her like once she's kind of unleashed, is so much. She's brilliant. Yeah, the glee that she has in being a vampire and having that having power over everyone is just wonderful. <laughs> just because she's been so, or or claims to have been so kind of put upon, like she's had this terrible life beforehand because she's had to deal with her husband, who's really selfish and spoiled and his overbearing mother and so once she kind of is not in a position mm. where she has to be afraid of them anymore she just is completely yeah off completely. off the leash and the like the domestic comedy of it is so good that the wet husband is that just constantly snotty like that kind of snot bubble that is like always on his top lip <laughs> he's so gormless and useless and kind of overbearing mother-in-law and and the fact that he's so completely clueless about what's happening is just beautifully done. The, that scene where they they're mur- going to murder him on the boat is so funny. Yeah, like it's it does feel a lot like Lady Vengeance had a lot of that of kind of the dark comedy and and violence kind of combined, uh, and this kind of just takes it and turns it up even higher because it's dealing with like vampires and supernatural things. It's just. It's just delightful. I was yeah. surprised at how, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I was a bit worried that this one was going to be one where I was like, oh, I remember, it's, it, this is the longest one, I think, isn't it? It's like two and a half hours or something. It is, yeah. Mm. But it's just beautifully made and so well acted and gleeful. There's so much glee in it. <laughs> I feel like the humour and the horror work together much better in this mm. than any of the others we've talked about. And I don't know... I, I mean, I guess that's just a personal sense of humour taste thing, but like, I don't know, I just feel like this one, just everything just really works. Like, we're not trying to put in slapstick next to tragedy, although sometimes I guess there is the bordering on slapstick, especially when, like, his, like, 
zombie corpses <laughs> getting in the way of the yeah. couple like that that all goes very kind of american werewolf it does, doesn't it yeah but it's the, i'd forgotten the moment where he's literally in between them in bed while they're trying to have sex yeah and he's just he's still got that like happy gormless look on his face it's like song kang ho like thrusting on top of him just sort of like so fun yeah there's all these kind of it's Similar to Lady Vengeance, actually, I think has a sim like there's these kind of people looking for hope from someone who doesn't have any hope to give them. And I think it's Christians yeah. in Lady Vengeance as well. It's like a Christian community that has put has kind of like campaigned for her release because they think she she deserves forgiveness. But then they become like super dedicated to the fact that she's going to be like the better person for them. And it's kind of the same here, where there's this group of people who convinced that he's the priest is a miracle because he's been cured miraculously by because he survived the virus know, yeah <laughs> and is drinking the blood of uh a man who liked to eat like to give cake to to other people so he'd be fine with having his blood drained it's <laughs> just like lying yeah. on the floor drinking the blood i love that but yeah it's, it's but similar sense of no one knows what they're doing and like and how yeah how this like priest mentor is like also kind of in favour of vampirism. Yeah. <laughs> no one's got any good answers. Everyone's just a mess. And and uh, yet another devastating ending. It's really, yeah, the some of the violence is played for last and then that final scene where they realise that they've been caught by their, like, their games night friends and decide to turn on them is really... That, that kind of... It, Park Chan-wook manages the shift into making that scary, like properly scary, really well. And then obviously that's the moment where he realises that they've, they are monsters. Yeah, and just like drives them out to the middle of nowhere with the disabled mother in the back of the car. And it's just like, we're just going to wait for the sun to come up. It's, it's the whole yeah. uh, 30 days a night ending, but like basically forcibly making her do it as well. Because she's like, see, I have to take back what I just said, because I guess there are lots of like very silly slapsticky moments in that scene where she's just trying to like find mm. anything to cover herself from the sun and he's just like ripping it off her and like like trying to make sure that the sun will get her and there is something slapsticky about that like mm. just a kind of physical comedy in the way that they're fighting um but also obviously very serious because he's determined that he's going to commit suicide and that she's going to do it with him i guess he's technically murdering her and yeah that's that's your ending is that they're just going to dissolve into ash yeah like, like the, that um the bit i remembered was him kicking the car like the the hood of the car off like into like the sky but yeah the, the sort of the the moral quandary of that and like how he's dealing with his guilt as well because there's a, a great exchange where he's like i don't know mm. like whether i should like st- stop her or not and she's like you'll feel bad either way He's Catholic, like he's, um, and he believes in hell. So he's like, there's a there's no good choice. Whereas she's not burdened by any of those. Yeah, she just like accepts that she's a monster and doesn't. Does it? Isn't there a bit at the start as well where someone's confessing to him and he talks about how suicide is a mortal sin? I think so. Yeah, there is definitely confession scene at the start. Like so, it kind of like, kind of comes back to like. You know, we've already he's already, we've already determined that he thinks that if you kill yourself, like that's you're going to hell. So the, for him to do that at the end, it's like either an acknowledgement that he no longer believes in God, or that he has condemned himself to hell, which yeah. is really fucking bleak. I mean, <laughs> there was this whole thing about how 
when films were played to test audiences, like nobody wanted to feel bad at the end of a film. And so lots of films kind of had their endings changed to be a bit happier. <laughs> but like none of these would pass that test with the test audience because they're all just like punch in the gut endings where you just yeah, come out like, agreed. fuck. <laughs> that is definitely a unifying theme of these movies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we didn't know there was a theme. It turns out there is. <laughs> it's just feeling bad. Oh dear. Why do we do this to ourselves? Oh, they're good babies. <laughs> it's the eternal <laughs> lament of the horror fan. <laughs> yeah, I guess like, it's like in terms of just kind of wrapping up, it does feel like this is like a small selection of, but they're mm. all really different films. And like, we didn't cover like, the Whispering Corridors movies, which I think started in the 90s, but um, are more traditional ghost stories again. And there's sort of madder, weirder movies like, say, The Green Planet. And then more obviously, kind of J horror inspired things like as it phone. I think there's one I've seen that's definitely like the ring, but there's a haunted phone one. It's cool that it's with these ones. There's these amazing directors making these beautiful big movies that mm-hmm. are definitely genre movies and horror movies. They're so uh, ambitious and yeah, well realized and yeah. That's that's a really good point in that like yeah, the, these directors are. Like really big deal and they're not going oh I won't make a horror movie it's beneath me it's just like I'm just going to make an amazing one <laughs> yeah yeah exactly it's like like I'm not going to make a horror movie and then do something else which is what I really want to do mm. like, um, I think both the host and Thirst I was reading were ideas that both directors had early on in their like their careers but had to wait a bit to get them made mm. um, so it's kind of like the reverse it's like yeah. oh now I've got the clout I'm going to make my horror movie oh that's or my lovely. big mutant frog movie that's <laughs> just it's like that story about Superman and the producer that wanted to put the mechanical spider in it or something it's like waiting <laughs> to make my giant frog movie he is kind of a frog isn't he a bit of a toad I I, I, I'm not really sure what he is I think uh, the one thing that I forgot to say about the host is that Possibly because, uh, like you say about slightly confusing it with Cloverfield, I was surprised by how clearly you get to see the monster and how often and how early. Yeah. I was like, oh, hang yeah. on, you can just see that thing. <laughs> it's right at the start, yeah. yeah you see him. It's like, oh, there he is. A lot of there he is. <laughs> it's really cool. Like, I like that you can't really tell what he is. It's like a bit of everything. Yeah, he's a, he's a monster. Yeah. Yeah, um, I guess the kind of, the hallmarks, if we can call it that, if we can sum up an entire country's output which we can't but like there just seems to be a sense of humor in these films that you didn't get in the j-horror films of the Mm. same sort of period like there's not really any jokes in like the ring or the grudge or (laughs) (laughs) dark water water, yeah dark water there certainly isn't um (laughs) i mean i guess in the grudge maybe you could argue i know shimizu's got a sense of humor somewhere but um but yeah, it's not the same. It's nowhere near the same kind of thing. Uh, so it's just like interesting that there's that in like Korean horror. I wonder if that is because I always feel like horror comedy is so like looked down on. I mean, horror as a genre obviously is kind of less so now, but generally kind of considered to be not 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 real art. And the same with comedy. And so putting the two together feels like very risky certainly for a Western audience, but maybe that's not the case in Korea. I guess maybe it's like that sense of like, if you're going to go big with something, go big with everything. Yeah. 
And also just like grounding it in a real world thing, a kind of real world feeling. Mm. It does feel like with the host especially, like you would be that bad at fighting a monster <laughs> and with first it's like these are these people are doing something kind of ridiculous. Like it's all yeah. it's kind of all kind of like some like caricature caricatures and stuff in there, but yeah, I don't know. Like to be fair, like our point's not funny. No, um, that's true. And there's not and there's a couple of like dark chuckles in Tell Two Sisters, but not much. Yeah, I remember Save the Green Planet was quite wacky, um, but obviously we didn't watch that one. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, yeah, there's always, I guess there's always exceptions and um, probably not small films that we can come back to another time. I feel like we've done some big hitters this time, but there are probably more we could mm. we could do a part two at some point. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I've actually never seen any of the Whispering Corridors films, so that might be a project. Oh yeah, I think you'd like them. Yeah. Yeah, maybe I should do that. I've, I've seen them out of order, but I think they're not like... <laughs> it's not like they're Saw. Not, <laughs> no, and they're not like sequels. I think they're just like thematically linked rather than connected stories. Interesting. Okay, maybe I will check those out. Cool. Okay, so uh, in conclusion, you should watch Thirst. Yes, and our point. I think it's on Shudder, isn't it? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Some of these were definitely more easy to find <laughs> and watch than others. Yes, I think I had to get a second-hand copy of Hansel and Gretel. Same. <laughs> Same with our point. I'm not sure where that's streaming, but definitely worth a look. So, so retro when you have to, like, actually buy a DVD. What, <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean I can't just pay two forty nine on YouTube? <laughs> <laughs> But yes, uh, we will be back hopefully relatively soon again. Um, I'm not going to make any promises though, because, you know, that goes wrong. So in the meantime, um, (laughs) please uh, tweet at us at Chilennial HPod and tell us your favourite Korean horror movie. Tell us what you think about these movies. Tell us what we should watch next. Um, Just talk to us. We we like to be talked to. It'd be lovely. (laughs) 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 And uh, yeah, see you soon. See you soon.